Texas throw looking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Wednesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, oh yeah, that's right, the start of the new league year is upon us. We are going to break down the newest additions to your Miami Dolphins, as well as talk about some additions to the division in the AFC East. We're going to play some audio for you guys from the Move the Sticks podcast and get you the latest around this Miami Dolphins club and the National Football League. All of that and more on this Wednesday, March the 17th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And free agency is officially underway after the legal tampering period extended for a 48-hour period. And most of those deals came in official as of today. Sometimes you're going to get a hiccup along the way. You might recall the Anthony Barr to the Jets contract a couple years back that wound up not coming through and he wound up going back to the Vikings. But so far, the Dolphins activity has been a measured approach. And given my own pep talk on the podcast last week, that's probably a good thing. I mentioned that the way to win free agency is to get more production for the dollars you spend. Not exactly effing rockin' sides here, is it? But I think it needs to be said, and now since it has been said, it should also be said that there are exceptions to that rule. I think, for instance, the Jaguars are an exception this year. I think the Dolphins last year are an exception as well. Because when you kind of do a strip down to the studs rebuild of the roster and you collect future assets, at some point you're going to have to spend the money you saved. So I think it's a bit different in that regard. And we saw how the Dolphins were able to remake their defense really in one off season. But the Dolphins are not in that position anymore. They're a 10-win team, narrowly missed the playoffs, and they are a young ascending team heading in the right direction. And the best way to disrupt that program, one that's built on development, is to spend over market value for players on the open market. And that's just the nature of free agency, isn't it? Just generally speaking, most years, let's say a guy is the 10th best player at his position. Well, he's going to get paid like the very best at his position because he's the top guy on the open market and because of supply and demand. So personally, I'm a fan of letting the funny money get tossed around, as it were, and then you pounce on the bargain by types. That's how you wind up with an Emmanuel Ogba. And if you get more production than money paid for the player or the production that player should have based upon the money he is making, and you do that enough over and over again, you're going to stack up dubs, man. So that's a little diatribe for myself on free agency. We do have some activity so far, some player activity with your Miami Dolphins. We have a heavy spender in the division, and we'll go ahead and recap what we know so far through the first couple of days or hours of free agency. But first, kickers are people too. And Matt Pilardi is your new kicker. And by kicker, I mean punter. They're all classified as kickers. Matt Pilardi signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, he didn't punt in 2020, but he averages 45.3 yards per punt in his career and never lower than 45.2 yards per punt over his last three years as a punter with the Panthers. He also handled kickoff duties with Carolina in 2019. He had six kickoffs that season. So not full-time duties, but he has kicked off before. 
And since we've seen the bag of tricks that Coach Crossman has, he's one for two with 12 yards passing in his career. And last, but definitely not least, he's a lefty punter. So he got that going for him too. All right, we've covered the Isaiah Wilson deal already, the trade. Check out my podcast from last Friday with Benjamin Solak for that in-depth discussion. A couple of additional notes here on Wilson that I wrote down. At Georgia, Wilson allowed just two sacks on on 758 pass-blocking snaps over his final two college seasons. He was charged with just nine total pressures surrendered and one penalty in his junior season back in 2019, his last year on campus there in Athens. And a mauling, big-bodied bruiser with a penchant for climbing up to the second level, Wilson was a mainstay on a Georgia offensive line that continuously asserted its will on the opponent. And despite his six foot seven stature, Wilson fires off the ball in the running game with a low pad level, gets push, gets some movement, gets a dent in the edge of the offensive line. And that generates some absolutely crushing blocks, some of the bigger blocks you'll see in college football. I talked about the initial surge off the line. This guy can also hit combo blocks, starting with a block at the point of attack. He catches and then climbs up to the second level to get disruption at the first and second level where he then engages the linebacker. And he did this impressively against LSU in the 2019 SEC championship game against fellow first round draft pick Patrick Queen. So he's played against some of the best. He's shown some metal against some of those best players, fellow first round draft picks. He also features a devastating punch. He loves to throw that left arm punch on pass rushers trying to go by him with speed. From his initial pass set, he's powerful as all get out. And rushers at the college level liked to push upfield and threaten with that speed rush before crossing face and coming underneath trying to win inside. And I thought he showed good recovery speed, good recovery footwork, as well as patience to get back into his drop set and get himself ready for that inside move. So some stuff there on Wilson's athletic ability and skill set. And I think that move really serves the Dolphins well to kind of open up one of the pillars around here flexibility the more you can do right well the Dolphins defense and its positionless nature affords the team more opportunity for more players because you figure one player's role and if that interferes with another's well then you can just adjust to make the pieces fit just right so like in the instance of offensive line let's go ahead and say that Wilson plays right tackle let's say that that turns out to be what it is in September. That just creates competition for Rob Hunt, Jesse Davis, Solomon Kinley, a few other guys that can kick inside to guard and play multiple spots. It gives you better depth all around. It gives you a chance to attack multiple positions depending on how the board falls and you come draft day. And that's somewhat true of our third player here we're going to discuss in, I guess, kind of chronological order. And let me just say this, I love this guy's tape. Watch this tape throughout the course of the week. The rumors came out on Sunday that Miami had traded Shaq Lawson and a swap of late round draft picks to bring in Texans linebacker, former Texans linebacker, Bernardrick McKinney. And you turn on his tape and oh baby, we are talking hair on fire, 60 minute car crash with this guy. He's never seen a block he didn't want to seek and destroy. And he can beat blocks with more than just pure brute force and by the way at 257 pounds he moves pretty well to a rare player in that regard but he can beat blocks with elusiveness I saw him hit a swim a little duck under he finds his way to the ball carrier and you want to talk about instincts this guy is the ultimate traffic cop on defense 
He gets guys lined up. He gets them cheating in their pre-snap alignment, which takes them right to the football before the snap even goes off. There's a play in the 2019 AFC wildcard round against Buffalo where he calls out a pre-snap motion. Before the quarterback sends the player a motion, he sends his safety over there in motion with the running back who then wipes out the play entirely. Those instincts put him in position to both create plays for his teammates and to make plays himself. And he's far more than just a deconstructor of the running game. He serves as a pass-rushing, blitzing, multifaceted linebacker in that regard as well, which is evidenced by the fact that he's played almost 1,000 snaps in four of the last five years. He averages 995 snaps over a four-year period in which he played 14 or more games each of those seasons. Now, last year he missed 12 games, so he didn't hit that criteria in the 2020 season. But you go back over the pro football focus data, looking at two measurements, two metric points, run stops, which are tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage, and quarterback pressures, and he checks off the boxes in both those regards. He had 40 run stops each of his last two full seasons. Those both ranked inside the top 25 for linebackers. He also had 17 pressures in 2019. That was tied for 17th among linebackers. You go back to 2016, his Pro Bowl season, he finished 11th in the NFL among linebackers with run stops, and his 20 quarterback pressures were tied for 5th at the position. And that's where I really get excited about this addition. The way he might complement Jerome Baker as a pass rusher, because there are so many looks where the Texans, who were a blitz-heavy operation for his entire career there in Houston, they went and hired Lovey Smith this offseason, who traditionally has been a four-man pressure Tampa 2 defense guy. So you think that McKinney maybe doesn't fit in that defense as well as he might with a pressure-heavy defense like this Dolphins defense. And so you'll see them mug him up in the A-gaps where he's up over the center with a, you know, shaded off the center's off outside shoulder and he'll go ahead and rush inside there. He'll go ahead and run a stunt. He'll pick somebody and create chances for somebody else. And what he has in addition to Jerome Baker's skill set, he's much bigger than Jerome Baker, about 25, 30 pounds bigger than Jerome Baker, but they both have that first step explosion where they can really disrupt the protection call right away because of that immediate first step, the immediate explosion off that first step, and the fact that they can either go or they can bluff and get out and drop into coverage and confuse the pass protection scheme of the offense up front. But you look at his broad jump and vertical jump, over 40 inches in the vertical jump, over 110 inches on the broad jump. Those are both outrageous marks for a 260-pound linebacker. In fact, both of those check off in the 93rd or better percentile from linebackers that worked out at the Combine in Indianapolis, you know, all those years ago. But it still remains, and he plays that explosive style of football, and that really helps him just get immediate pressure on the quarterback, run through blockers, occupy blockers, and finish with sack production and creating disruption in the backfield. So you look at his pressures, they've kind of gone up and down, and that's been varied based upon usage in the defense because every single year he checks the box with a pass uh, a pass rush productivity percentage of better than 11%. Three of the last four years, he had that better than 11%. And I look at the way that Dante Hightower's used in New England as kind of the same guy. It's 260 pounds, explosive, can rush inside or outside and play some off-ball linebacker duties and be a guy that can fit the run in multiple gaps and get guys lined up. That's kind of what Hightower was the Patriots defense for a long time. And you saw how badly they missed him in that middle of that defense last season when he opted out, 
I see McKinney in that same that same makeup and that same frame of mind in terms of a guy that can stop the run, can rush the quarterback, be a three-down player for you that way as well. So back to pro football focus statistics here. Last year, as an, or 2019, I should say, as an off-ball linebacker, 815 snaps. He had 99 on-ball snaps and then a, a couple of more snaps sprinkled in as a slot, wide corner, and free safety as those alignments are usually late in game, you know, dime defense, quarter defense, dollar defense, the, the prevent defense where you're trying to keep things in front of you. So this guy's an absolute lunch pail player. If you watch his interviews, he's a walk softly and carry a big stick guy, humble and hungry type. He always checks off the cliche box in terms of, I just want to get my job done, be a guy that does what the coaches ask of me. And he's not brash or overly cocky. He's confident, but not overly cocky in those interviews. Really fun player. You can see why, you know, from a personal standpoint, as far as his his personality goes, but also on-field production and on-field usage, why the Dolphins were so keen on bringing in Bernardrick McKinney, a player that some of the, the guys out there, the rap sheets of the world, the Mike Garofolo said the Dolphins have long been fans of his game. And so now they get a chance to work with Bernardrick McKinney at linebacker here in Miami. A Dolphins trade acquisition at the position, explosive, explosive player, physical lunch pail guy that's going to hit you in the mouth. I'm excited to watch him play football on Sundays at Hard Rock Stadium. And so as this free agency frenzy twirls on here midweek in the middle of March, I want to go back and play some audio for you guys from Coach Flores from, well, just six days ago. Here's Coach at the mic. Again, you know, this is a very unique year. Um, uh, very unique year. Yeah, we do have some... Uh, 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 some money from a cap standpoint that uh, we can spend. Uh, but again, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting year. I think I'm going to be playing the song. You can't always get what you want. You know, that day one free agency, to be honest with you. And not so fast, my friends, because the Dolphins were, in fact, linked to a signing on day one of the legal tampering period. Seathan Carter, a fullback slash tight end slash H-back slash F-piece slash whatever you want to call him, he became attached to the Dolphins on Monday night, the opening night of the legal tampering period. And that move, of course, becomes official today on this Wednesday. And you go back and look at his tape. You look at what his career has been so far. Four years in the National Football League. He did miss the 2018 season with a shoulder injury. But if you plug on Cincinnati Bengals tape, and this is one of the better special teams units in the NFL last season, you're probably going to find number 82 flying into frame, whether it's covering a kickoff downfield at mock speed or laying a block on a lengthy return. He's carved out his role as a special teams ace, a core special teamer so far in his NFL career. There's a great 92-yard kickoff return by Brandon Wilson, I think it was, of the Bengals, where you see 82 come flying into frame, and he hits the key block to spring that thing from the 2019 season, I think it was. And you see that effort and open field blocking ability. It's not exclusive to special teams. There's a game back in 2017 against the Colts where Carter sprung Joe Mixon, their rookie running back at the time, for 62 yards on a screen pass where he gets 25 yards down the field for a down block on a safety where he just blocks out the sun, creates a big gap, and he kind of comes over in motion on that play and swings out the gate, gets out the backside, gets upfield, and hits that block in the open field. Not an easy task, but he hit it there. So you see flexibility in what he can provide for both an offense and special teams. And, you know, you talk about the fit for this player here. Go back to the start of 2019. Coach Flores has 
done two things. He's put a big emphasis. He's done multiple things, but two things that relate to the signing, an emphasis on special teams, but also deployed a fullback for 188 snaps for the last two seasons. And not every team rosters a fullback, so that's a little bit unique in the NFL. And Chandler Cox was released before the final game of the season last year, but he also was inactive for seven of his final nine games as a Dolphin. So now Miami has this fullback, H-back, whatever you want to call Seathan Carter. He does so much stuff and lines up traditionally as an inline tight end. Nasty split in tight to the formation, but not connected to the formation. As an H-back, as an F, a flex piece, a guy that moves about the formation, and of course the substantial special teams contributions. This guy does multiple things, jack of all trades, and since entering the league back in 2017, he has finished among the top 50 players in special teams tackles all three of those seasons. He missed 2018 with the injury. 26 career special teams tackles. He's played 896 career snaps on special teams and earned his career best PFF grade last season of 82.1. He also has 368 career snaps on offense in three seasons, 212 of those as a run blocker. So primarily onto the field to get the blocking job done. He's also caught seven passes on 10 targets for 66 yards and a touchdown in his career. Look at tight ends across the league. How many of these guys are two sports stars, basketball stars? That's what he was back in his high school days. Then went to Nebraska to be a football player. And he didn't really play special teams in Nebraska, but he carved out that role once he got to the NFL. And Marvin Lewis, his rookie season, said this about him, an undrafted free agent. The good part is we have a number of guys like Seathan who have come out of programs and been able to separate themselves that way. They come here and compete from the first day and didn't take a back seat or anything like that talking about Seathan Carter. And so you add Seathan to this, the muscle room, right? That's what George Godsey called it last year, the tight ends room, which also includes your fullback. So Mike Gesicki, Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen, Chris Myrick, and now they'll get Seathan Carter, a jack of all trades. And in a league where wins and losses are often determined by a handful of plays and the attention to detail in critical moments, your depth and your special teams talents are perpetual needs. And of course, Miami, to the delight of a former special teams assistant in Brian Flores, that was his first job in the NFL, improved the area of that club dramatically in 2020. And acquisitions like this, they move the needle towards another leap in 2021. So Seathan Carter, the first free agent uh, news that came out on Monday. Of course, we talked about Bernardrick McKinney, Isaiah Wilson, as well as Matt Pilardi, who was signed officially with the club on Monday as well. And to wrap up Monday's news, I guess it became official on Tuesday. Reports came out on Monday, but Vince tweeted it himself. The Dolphins announced it officially on Tuesday that Vince Beagle, who suffered an Achilles injury in training camp last season, will return on a one-year deal with the Miami Dolphins. You might recall he led the Dolphins in pressures after arriving in September in a trade back in 2019 for Kiko Alonso. Straight across trade, Dolphins got great value from that trade. He led Miami in pressures, and he did multiple things off the edge of the defense and really kind of helped the Dolphins stay flexible in their fronts and their looks because he can play detached in that off-ball linebacker look. He can come down, put his hand in the dirt and rush from that three-point stance, from a four-point stance, and you see him really work the, the ability to work on stunts and twists and to loop inside and get pressure that way. 
but he also can win with speed and then dip underneath the outside shoulder of the tackle. He loves to take on blocks and set the edge and play that physical mindset. So the Dolphins get back a good player in the second level of that defense and continue to build and really, really reinforce that area of the defense that is so important here for Miami. I put a little video thread together on Twitter showing some of Beagle's best pass rush, pass rush reps and some of his best edge setting reps and run defense and stuff too. So go check that out on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. And finally, before we go ahead and close this thing up from a Dolphins perspective, Adam Pankey, according to reports, was tendered his restricted free agent tender. So it sounds like he'll be back in Miami. And just a quick note on him. I thought last year during training camp in those notebook style reports we did on MiamiDolphins.com. I thought Pinky consistently showed well among the second and third team offensive lines, getting guys blocked up, keeping his quarterback clean. Saw plenty of him blocking for Tua because Tua was running with the twos behind Fitzpatrick in that training camp. And then he also earned his way onto the roster and earned his way into games as one of the sixth or sometimes seventh extra offensive linemen into the game and some of those heavy personnel packages the Dolphins called upon down around the goal line in 2020. So that's your latest on the Dolphins. I want to go ahead and turn this thing over now to more of a general, broader NFL view, taking a look as the Dolphins division, the AFC East, has added a lot of new players here recently. And we'll go ahead and start here with this clip from the Monday edition of the Move the Sticks podcast, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. We refer to them a lot on this podcast. I am a big fan of their work, mostly for the draft coverage, but they also provide great insight on the NFL stuff as well, in season and out of season. And they were talking about the way free agency unfolds from a tier perspective, from a day's perspective. And you heard Coach Flores talk about day one of free agency. Maybe I can't get what I want because that typically is where the funny money, the big money gets spent and thrown around. And then after the market kind of relaxes a little bit and resettles, you then have maybe fewer demand and greater supply. So then as Daniel Jeremiah says before this clip, I'm going to plug you guys that that second tier, that the second wave of players maybe gets squeezed out a little bit. So I found that to be a very interesting perspective and figure let's go ahead and play this clip here from Bucky Brooks about this free agency first versus second wave. The teams who have significant cap space, I think if they're patient, they can scoop up a lot of really good players later in the process. We know the free agent frenzy is typically the first 72 hours, the first week. If they can wait, like teams that have significant cap space, like the Jags, the Jets, uh, the Patriots, if they can the wait course, past that, the Ghosts, if they can wait past that first week, I think you'll see them scoop up a lot of players at team-friendly deals because it gives them a chance because everyone is going to panic. If you don't get paid in the first wave, now it's musical chairs and you're just trying to find a home. And I thought it was funny that he mentioned the Patriots, the Jets, and the Jaguars because as I sit here recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon, those might have been the three most active teams in free agency so far. Let's go ahead and recap what we've seen so far through free agency as the reports come through on legal tampering period window, this two-day period in the NFL before free agency kicks off today on this Wednesday, March the 17th. Let's go ahead and start in division with the Patriots, the the story of free agency so far, which has not been the case in about 20 years. And I saw this on Callen, Colin Cowherd on Tuesday morning talking to Scott Pioli, who mentioned when the Patriots first 
when Belichick first arrived, they signed 23 free agents to kind of reshape that roster to Belichick's vision. This could kind of be them reshaping the roster in that same frame of mind this time around because without Tom Brady and what he brought to that team, maybe you find a different way to to the winner circle, multiple ways to win games, right? And this is a Patriots team that for a long time has relied on draft picks and and really killing the compensatory pick formula and restocking the cupboards that way. Well, now they're going to go way off script and go after free agents aggressively. Let's go ahead and talk about these teams in our own backyard, in our own division, who have been active and added talent to their rosters. I think it's a very relevant thing to discuss here on the Drive Time Podcast. So starting with the Patriots, first off the top, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, the two tight ends they acquire. Now, It's been a long time since they had these two guys with the Gronk and Aaron Hernandez pairing back in 2010 when that offense was really running at a rate that was, I mean, nearly unstoppable because of the nuance it offered and how unique it was for that era of the National Football League with 12 personnel in a you know 11 personnel league where you're going to wind up with either a nickel cornerback or a strong safety coming down and having to cover Aaron Hernandez or having to take on Rob Gronkowski as an inline blocker. It's a tough setup and so I look at John U. Smith who's one of the best yak tight ends in the National Football League and Hunter Henry who's uber athletic eats in the red zone. If they can keep both those guys healthy and productive it's going to be a tough matchup for this Dolphins defense. I cannot wait to see how Flores and company and Josh Boyer, how they react and how they game plan specifically for this offense with these two new tight ends who should play substantial time for the Patriots. Now, Henry, as much as I love the player, has missed 22 games in the last three seasons, and Jonu Smith never cracked 900 yards as a receiver, so some give and take there, but I think both these guys pose a big-time threat as pass-catching options in this new Patriots offense. Speaking of the new Patriots offense, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne both get paid there as well from New England. So you look at the pass-catching options in this new offense, and granted, these are not—we're not talking about— you know, prime Rob Gronkowski here or Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller with, I don't know, let's go ahead and just throw out Calvin Johnson and Randy Moss, but they are major upgrades over what the roster had last season and a much more well-rounded offense for this Patriots team this year. They do lose Joe Tooney over to the Chiefs, so the offensive line takes a hit, and we'll see what happens with David Andrews, the center, who's also a free agent, and they shipped off Marcus Cannon uh, out of town as well. So the offensive line, significant changes there for the Patriots. The skill spot has been completely remade with Cam Newton back on a new contract. I'll be very curious to see what that offense looks like in this new vision, under this new this new look, because last year they were so ground and pound, run heavy, and just didn't have the vertical element, or really even the intermediate element of their offensive attack. I think the Patriots got a lot better in free agency, and I would always trust Belichick and company to to have an idea and a vision for what they brought in as far as the guys they targeted and brought in and paid big money in this free agency class. What a crazy, crazy 24 hours that was for the Patriots, because it's just so out of character for them and with Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, I mean, those are two big-time tight ends that are probably going to play, you know, 80-plus percent of the snaps. What, is, what does that mean for Dalton Keene and De- Devin Asiasi last year, who they drafted in the third round? Both those players. So very deep at tight end right now, better at the skill spots. Looking forward to those matchups come the fall. Also in our division, the Jets got better with a couple of big acquisitions with Carl Lawson coming to the division. I, th- I think the world of Carl Lawson, one of the best 
physical pass rushers who just kind of keeps to himself off the field and makes big plays in the passing game. Really rocked up dude, built really solidly, has the the look and prototype for a long-term career in the NFL. Just 25 years old. I think the Jets got much better at that spot. Might be one of the might be the Jets' best pass rusher they've had since I don't know Calvin Pace, maybe even way back to the Jonathan Abram, uh, Jonathan Abraham era back in New York. Big time move there for them. They also brought in receiver Corey Davis, who comes off the board uh, on day one for a big contract. There, the former top five pick. I think he was the fifth pick in the draft by the Titans back when he was drafted out of Western Michigan, a physical player who had his best season this year. We'll see how he works out there with the Jets, but a couple of AFC East teams get better. Buffalo has made some extensions on their own roster like Daryl Williams, as well as Matt Milano. So the AFC East bolstering its rosters across the board. Also forgot to mention the defensive acquisitions of the Patriots with Devon Godshaw, our own former Devon Godshaw here in Miami. They also picked up Jalen Mills, the former cornerback of the Eagles, as well as Matt Judon, the edge rusher, the outside linebacker from the Ravens. He is one hell of a football player. So big time acquisitions, lots of activity here, and it'll continue here into the week on drive time in the NFL. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast here real quick with a soundbite I heard on the Monday edition of the Move the Sticks podcast, the same podcast we played for you guys earlier. Here is Trent Dilfer talking to Bucky Brooks, and he posed the question to Trent Dilfer, why should we believe in Tua Tungavailoa bouncing back from his rookie season, which is a loaded question, but here's Dilfer's answer. Why wouldn't you? That's the question I keep asking is why wouldn't you? Look at his career. Look, look at everything he's ever done. Don't forget, we're just a few years remi- removed from Tank with Tua. Then look at who the Miami Dolphins were last year. I think it's one of the biggest criminal narratives that's happened in the last few years around quarterbacks is that Tua didn't play well. Tua played very yeah. well considering what he had. They were terrible offensively from a skill position uh, aspect. He's coming off massive injuries. He has no OTAs, no offseason very complex system, and now they've changed Gordon and they've changed the offensive staff. Like, this kid's gone through a lot, and he still played pretty efficient ball with what they asked him to do. I, I think with the addition of Charlie Fry as a quarterback coach, who me and you will both know is one of the great coaches, mm-hmm. young coaches in all football, uh, has a relationship with Tua. Uh, I think with what they've redone with their offensive staff and all these picks, you give this guy talent around him, you give him a system, system where you can unleash him and just because he didn't play as well as Burrow and Herbert in year one, I really don't care about year one. And here's the short-sightedness of the NFL narratives. Who cares about year one? None of them won any games anyways. Who can take him to a Super Bowl? And I believe with what Miami has from an ammunition standpoint, from draft capital to the leadership of Flores and the rest of that building uh, to a process in place with good coaches to bring out the best into it, Let's have this conversation in three years and see which one's the best in three years. We are not going to top that to close this podcast. We'll go ahead and end it right there. But just before we do, we found out late in the recording of this podcast that Jacoby Brissett, the quarterback formerly of the Colts, who spent some time in New England with head coach Brian Flores, has agreed to a one-year contract, according to reports, with the Miami Dolphins. And so, too, has running back Malcolm Brown previously of the Los Angeles Rams. We're going to break down both of their games and the signings of those two players on the Friday edition of Drive Time, three episodes a week here now going forward up until the season, up until training camp, I should say. 
And one more quick reminder, all of these new additions, free agents, trades, or draft picks, you can get exclusive interviews with them in the future here as we get these guys into the building and get them on the podcast. We're going to talk to each of these guys one by one here on Drive Time. So keep it locked. Subscribe the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out MiamiDolphins.com for the written element behind each of these new acquisitions. And of course, the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. Until next time, fins up.